travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 95, Cambodia's evolving hotel scene with Alexi de Surnam. Hotels can sometimes make or break a holiday. Luckily, Southeast Asia has properties for every style and budget. From backpacker haunts to ultra-luxe palaces, Southeast Asia's hotel scene is one of the world's most dynamic and affordable. The scene has changed a lot during our two decades living and working in the region, and we think for the better. On this episode, we'll chat with Cambodia-based hotelier Alexi de Semaine about the industry, how it's evolved, and some of the unique properties he runs. In Phnom Penh, Cambodia, this is Scott Coates with... Trevor Ranges here in Phnom Penh. Yeah, with this, Scott Coates. <laughs> this is one of uh, the kind of rare, but getting a little more frequent ones we actually managed to do together. Yeah, you know, the, we, the, the other one we did here together was in Cambodia as well. That was uh, Favorite uh, Watering Holes. One of them, yeah. And then yeah. We're, we've talked a lot about drinks here. But, um, you know, you and I have both lived and worked in the region for almost 20 years. So rewind the clock, Trevor, to like year one or two for you in Asia. Like what kind of places were you staying at if you traveled? Well, you know, I mean, here in Cambodia, it's going to be interesting to talk uh, with Alexi about the evolution of hotels, just mm -hmm. because, you know, again, you go back like 20 years, the the tourism scene hadn't really evolved here yet, so there wasn't a huge selection. Right. Um, and, and similar for Laos as well. So I know that from time to time, like you'd stay in some mom and pop hotels, kind of guest houses, and some of them were in like these old houses, um, but they were a bit run down and you were getting that character from yeah. these old properties uh, just because they were so big basic um mm. and and the scene certainly has evolved now so um yeah in those early days you stayed in a lot more simple places there wasn't a lot it wasn't as much selection and uh and the quality probably wasn't as high as it is now what i remember especially thinking about Phnom Penh uh where we're going to be talking with Alexi and where we are is i probably came here first in like 2005 or something and it was like supposedly five-star hotels that had been here from the 80s and then a few like colonial like places for expats and un and ngo types with lots of dollars or simple guest houses kind of yeah you know the, again there, there wasn't a huge selection uh and there certainly was character um but like the the types of hotels that uh, alexi has developed uh, kind of took it to a new level you know taking some of these old properties and turning them into like these charming boutique hotels um that maybe have five-star service, right, mm. if, if not uh, amenities. Yeah, I think the big uh, growth and change really in the region, not just Cambodia, but it's been sort of the, like the $75 US a night price range. Like you can now get a place with a pool, cool public spaces and gardens and, and good local service for like 75 bucks in most Southeast Asian 
cities and areas now. Yeah, and then even then you get down to that $30 range, uh, there's still some like charming old-fashioned kind of places uh, here and there across the countryside. But again, that's one of the challenges here in Cambodia as well, is like once you get out of the like Siem Reap and Phnom Penh and you go mm. into the provinces, um, you're still, you still struggle for choice a little bit. Uh, so yeah. like one of the projects that we're going to talk to Alexi about, the Junglu, um, is interesting just because um, he's now going to be bringing uh, some kind of unique properties to regions that uh, maybe uh, tourists are underserved in. I think so. Yeah. Well, before we get him in, uh, let's just say thank you to all our sponsors on Patreon. Uh, Trevor, you and I pay for this podcast out of our own pocket, the hosting, the editing. So we appreciate your support. You can go to Patreon and find Talk Travel Asia or on our website, you can click donate on the left. You can sponsor as little as a dollar or up. And we want to say thank you to Terry Blackburn, who sponsored $25 at the big kahuna level. And he sent a message the other week saying he received our postcard right before he and his wife were to set off for a trip here. So thanks for that, Terry. Super cool. So let's bring on our guest. He is Alexis de Semaine, a French national who grew up in a number of Eastern European and Middle Eastern countries. He's worked in Russia, Moldova, and various Southeast Asian nations. With his wife, they operate MADS, which takes care of the creative and communication side of all their initiatives in Cambodia. We're chatting with him today in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. So uh, thanks for joining us today, Alexi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, having us come into the pavilion here today. Um, so how, how long have you been in Asia and what first brought you over here? I've been here in Asia um, for the last 17 years. And uh, I initially came to Cambodia for the first time in January 2001. Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, just posted here by a pharmacist without borders, mm. uh, moving me from Moldova to Phnom Penh as a head of mission. Okay. Interesting. Now, I've read your bio, but um, you were tell us a bit more about your life previous to being a hotelier. What, what were you doing before you ended up working in hotels? Well, right before um, opening the first hotel, Pavilion, where we're sitting now, um, I was the head of mission for Médecins du Monde, Doctors of the World in Myanmar, and we were working on a harm reduction uh, project with uh, professional sex workers and uh, injecting drug users. Okay. So we're working mainly uh, to fight uh, HIV-AIDS, but mm -hmm. also uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Okay. That's interesting, and it's definitely... You know, a good thing that people like you are doing things like that. So how do you make the jump from that, though, to getting involved in hotels? Well, I happened to be back in Cambodia after that mission because my wife was still here in Cambodia and I didn't want to stay there alone uh, another year. And uh, I was looking for different businesses op opportunities and uh, a real estate agent showed me Pavilion and I walked in here and I said, well, this is the ideal spot for a hotel. Mm. So it's basically the opportunity of uh, this guy showing me this property and, and me seeing the potential of the location and of the, the buildings. And that's how we started our first hotel. What year was that? It was in 2005. Okay. 2005. And now this is actually the first time Trevor and I realized we've sat with a guest, like he and I and the guest. And for people listening, we're in a real kind of tropical paradise, colonial building. Can you tell a little bit about the pavilion? What is the, the pavilion? Give us a bit of background, because I think that's what makes this hotel and a lot of yours really unique. Yeah, as you were saying, like the building itself is something that won you over to the, to the business. So what's special about this place? 
I think, first of all, the location. I mean, we're so close to the Royal Palace, under 100 meters, and we're right across the Royal Bodum Pagoda, which is mm -hmm. the Royal Pagoda of, of Phnom Penh, and the most holy pagoda, I think, in the country. Um, and we're right across it. So its location is just incredible. And the, person, the, the, the character of the old building is really strong and uh, uh, eligibly it was uh, built by Queen Kosamak and where she was using it when she was going out of the palace and staying here where that's what people are telling me but I don't have any documentation to sustain this. Okay. Um, and the other house which is really funny is that there's the other house which is more from the Songkun period and it, everybody knows it as the uh, vet, vet of the uh, of the royal palace and so the guy the, the vet was living in that house and he was for some reason was very famous in Phnom Penh and he was taking care of the elephants of the palace and that, oh, that, so that's that the right around house. here as well yeah, the that's crawl, the, yeah just just that house there yeah. and that the usage of the, the the person in that house was so much more famous than in the major house. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. But am I right that you sort of came upon a colonial building that was in debilitated shape, like it was not in good shape, and that you sort of brought new life to these classic colonial buildings? Is that right? Yeah, the owner told me when I first met him that he thought that he was going to demolish the building, and they started knocking down... Wow few of the features outside and they had removed the wall uh, sorry the roof completely and when I saw it there was no roof and the upper rooms were open air wow. and open sky and he said that he had a dream that he had to keep this house so he stopped the demolition and that's when I met him right after he stopped the demolition maybe a week after he stopped the, the demolition and then when I saw it there were just uh, there was a tap in the corner of the garden and uh -huh. no bathrooms no toilets um, and there were only two rooms and I told him well that's the ideal house for a hotel but we need to build some additional facilities to accommodate another few rooms so that we can have at least 10 rooms to operate and he said well yeah we can do that but you I want I will build but I want you to monitor the construction because mm -hmm. I don't have time I don't have the knowledge and, and, and I don't exactly know what you want so if you monitor the uh, the, the, the construction we're gonna do it and so he introduced me to his builders and the guy was uh, had been studying in Russia uh -huh. so we did the whole construction uh, supervision in Russian language it was really <laughs> funny That's interesting very neat. Um, so now like for people who have been to Phnom Penh or, or plan to come here there's many kind of boutique style hotels now to choose from but back in 2005 what was the hotel scene here like well there was a high demand because there were quite a lot of uh, Westerners traveling and they wanted to have a, a feeling of authenticity when they travel. And of course, the more standard Chinese type, uh, new Chinese type uh, hotels were not very uh, uh, attractive to them. Mm. And so there was virtually no, hardly any offer. So anytime we'd open a room or increase the size of our property, immediately was filled up. Yeah. And it was a race for getting more uh, more rooms, uh, and it, we were really, to be very honest, very much into the increase of quantity versus quality. Mm. And I would say we were really, really bad. <laughs> just trying to put things together really quickly. Yeah, just and we would open a room, boom, it would be full. Open another room, boom, it would be full. And um, so we, little by little, managed to get a few uh, neighboring villas. Um, and as soon as we'd open a new wing it would get immediately filled up 
Okay, now obviously most of your uh, hotelier experience has been in Cambodia, but I know you've traveled to Myanmar and other countries in the region, working in other fields. When I think of your properties uh, that I've been to, it seems like nice, cute rooms, but an emphasis on cool public spaces. How do you kind of think the overall hotel scene in Southeast Asia has maybe evolved since when you entered in 2005 to maybe a decade later in 2015? Well, to answer the first part of the question, yeah. it's very easy. You only have one reception and one pool side versus 30 or 40 uh, rooms. So when you have to do an improvement, either you just what you just do it once and everybody benefits from it, or you have to do it 30 times. Okay. So when you look at your wallet, um, yeah. so that's why we always focused more on the on the common uh, spaces and common uh, areas. Uh, having said that, uh, particularly at Pavilion, we try to put a lot of local art in the rooms mm. and uh, we pay a lot of attention to that. Okay. Um, but it comes little by little as we find things and, and masterpieces that we like and then we just put them in, uh, in, in, in the rooms. Okay. So thinking about a decade then, yeah, sorry, through two questions and one say to 2005 to let's even say present day, I mean, what do you think the major changes or trends have been? And the evolution of Southeast Asian hotels. I think that the um, the major element that uh, evolved in the last ten years is that naturally, every, when you open a new hotel, you set up a new benchmark, and when some new people are coming in, they're looking at the level you're, you've reached, okay. and they benchmark from there and they try to improve uh, from that. They're not trying to do something lower quality or, yeah. or less, less experiential. Of course, yeah. they try to come. They come up with an idea and a concept and a, and a solution that is better than uh, than, than what it, what exists. So the quality of hospitality in general, I think, has improved tremendously in a new country like Cambodia. There was virtually nothing, and it gets back to what we were saying in the previous question when I was saying, okay, we're really bad. Yeah, we didn't have a TV, we didn't have a, yeah. a mini bar, we didn't give water, uh, we have we have simple mattresses and so on. And little by little, we were um, and we were very bad because the bench, the benchmark was so low. Mm. Okay. And then as things evolved, uh, more hotels were coming in and uh, coming up, and we had to uh, to adjust to that and improve our services, our facilities, the equipment put in the rooms. Yeah. And right. so, if you look at the offer of hotels in in Phnom Penh, which is a very new destination, you know, compared yeah. to Thailand. Um, the quality of the hotels here has drastically improved in the last 10 years. Mm. Sure, and you know, the, like, when you said televisions, I would say that some people would consider no television in the room to kind of be a benefit, you know, when you're on vacation. And that kind of ties into maybe like renovating old colonial properties. Like you don't necessarily want to take this old house and turn it into like something modern and high-tech inside you have to kind of capture the essence of the old feeling right and so right around the corner you have a new property that's the penthouse in the jungle villa and for me maybe that almost captures both of those things in one because you have a more modern building that is what some travelers are looking for but then you have like this old style like retro kind of feel how do you kind of capture the feel when you're fixing up these hotels to make them creating that benchmark <laughs> well Getting to the TV, there's a very, I always say this strange thing that when regarding TVs, it's uh, if you have a room that is below $30, you can do without a TV. Mm. And if you're above $500, you can do without a TV. Mm. But in, in between, between $30 to $500, yeah. you have to have a TV. Yeah. And if you're above $500, then it's, you know, it's tasteless. You know, oh, how come you have the yeah. big 
50-inch TV in the room. It looks yeah. like a little... And when you go to Amansara or Six Senses or places like that, very often they don't have uh, TVs at all. Well, of course you can get one if you ask at sure. reception, but as a standard, the room doesn't come with a TV. Hmm. And it's part of the experience of the hotel that is uh, TV is not is not something that you know it's it's you want some exotism you don't want something that you have at home so you can go much further into um, um, making more extreme the experience in the room like open bathrooms and things like that which Mm. are very pleasant when you're in holiday and but that's not something you want to have at home right Mm. Um, so we definitely want to be more experiential in the way we develop our rooms and concepts uh, we are allowed to go much further than if we were doing uh, residential design. That's why mm-hmm. hospitality is so much more fun, is that you can go in much uh, stronger uh, or m- more extreme solutions okay. and gives a lot of freedom to the, um, to the designers. All right. Well, you mentioned benchmarking before as kind of the first decade or so. Um, everyone continually stepping up their game. Where do you see the trends kind of going, let's say, in the next five years in Southeast Asian hotels? What's going to happen? Well, I think we'll continue in the same direction. Um, people will start, will continue to try to make very original and, and, and different uh, hotels from and, and stick out of the crowd. That's for sure. Uh, people are exploring new niche, niches. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, for example, trying to move to, not move it, uh, develop uh, glamping solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying to go to be more green. Uh, we're trying to find solutions where we use less water, less electricity. That's a good point. Sustainability is something people actually look for now in a property, you know, or, or what type of social enterprises you work with or, you know. Yeah, well, hospitality and tourism in general is a very polluting uh, industry. Uh, don't need to mention the planes and travel in general which is highly polluting um, and we also tend to try to go to uh, very unique and remote places and we tend to disrupt the nature in those locations mm. and destinations so of course it's our I think it's our responsibility just natural responsibility to see how we can minimize these impacts uh, when we as hotelier uh, develop something in a remote area mm. and there are ways now to minimize this impact the footprint should be much lower than what it is now and that's mm. through glamping uh, you can really significantly significantly minimize whatever impact you're doing in the environment in terms of uh, physical impact with through light foundations as well as uh, energy consumption and the way we uh, try to get the local populations to get involved and mm. provide them jobs, and so it's 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 a responsibility I I feel and every hotelier feels when he's going to a natural uh, area. So do you think that's like a growing trend? It, it seems to be a focus that you're headed toward because there's a number of different locations you'd like to do the Junglu properties, I believe. Yeah. But, um, so you think you, you think that's kind of a big growth sector in, in tourism in the region is towards these kind of low footprint, more authentic, natural environment experiences? I would say it started seven years ago in Cambodia, probably with the four rivers uh, floating lodge in Tatai River on Kokong Kokong province. Yeah, it's a very cool place. And they were the first one to do a floating camp uh, 
uh, in the world. Mm. And um, it's, they've been followed by various initiatives, the, the Beijing Simri, uh, the Wild by Shintamani in the Cardamoms. Um, there's also a Wild Lions uh, project also in the Cardamoms near Chipat. Um, so there are maybe four or five initiatives in, uh, in the country. Uh, there's one coming up on Korong, I think. Um, but it's been growing. I mean, um, there are many companies uh, that are, if you look at Six Senses, I think they have one in Chiang Rai, or is it Four Seasons? I four Seasons four in seasons, Chiang Rai. Sorry. Yeah. So Four Seasons in Chiang Rai. There's another one in Chiang Mai opening done by Bill Bensley. He has a few in, uh, he's developing, developing a few in Bali now. Uh, Rosewood in Luang Prabang as correct, well. Correct, we actually did correct. a whole episode on this one time, and we might need to do a follow-up one soon. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> so it's spreading out. It's spreading out. And... Um, and I think it's a very cool initiative, and, mm. and people are getting more interested in such uh, in, in such developments. And it's also very interesting for the investors because um, you have a capex, an initial investment that is yeah. usually much lower than if you do something in bricks and mortar. Okay. And whereas the selling price per night is the same as if if you were doing something in brick and mortar, and well, the uh, the projects are more um, experiential. There are more um, Instagrammable, and <laughs> yeah. so they um, very much um, uh, satisfy the expectations of the younger crowds, which want to Instagram their stays. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Okay, um, you've led perfectly into kind of the next question. Is uh, the other day you took me over to see um, a concept of the jungleu, right? So you're getting into. Did I say it properly, jungleu? Junglu. Junglu. So you... It's the jungle igloo. Yeah, tell us about this. Like, this is a, a unique kind of niche, it seems, within a niche of the tented camp. Tell us about this uh, project you have going. Yeah, there has been a lot of tented camps growing in Southeast Asia, but they all start with the uh, traditional uh, tents of African tents, which you see in, uh, in, uh, in safaris. Yeah. And what I believe is that even though those tents are very elegant in terms of decoration and their, their design, yeah. they don't fit at all in jungle because they have, because of their shape, uh, they tend to accumulate heat mm -hmm. um, and uh, they're not proof to bugs and you have zip uh, openings and yeah. folding windows so people don't feel secure when you put them in an environment which has potentially a lot of uh, bugs, snakes and what's worst uh, humidity okay so what we've developed is a concept completely focused on the uh, climate of mm. uh, the specificities the specificities of our climate in Cambodia okay and so the whole shape of the tent is designed to resist and protect from heat control humidity um, and provide a sense of security our doors are made of wood um, they're secure the windows are real glass windows and when you're locked in, uh, when you lock yourself in, um, you feel protected and secure. There is insulation. You don't hear the bugs around them, okay. around the tent. So it is a tent, but it's bioclimatic. Mm. And the whole um, instruction I gave to the team was, first of all, take in consideration the specificities of our climate in Cambodia. Create the tent so that it's really heat and, and humidity proof. And once you've done that, then we'll find a way to accommodate uh, as the, the best we can uh, the, um, the living space inside. Right. And it's sort of like an upside-down U. It's really 
um, curve shape like using just PV, yeah, like an igloo, like using PVC pipes. You were telling me the fabric is just simple square shape. You kept it simple. Tell us how it, it keeps it cooler because I found that aspect of it. Between the outside, you have a gap of like 40 centimeters between a cover and the structure, and then also within the bed area itself, right? You have some unique yeah. cooling. The principle of the of the junglu is that it has two layers with a canal that's open in between the two layers mm -hmm. and the sun heats the outside layer we call it the second skin and as this second skin heats up the air in between our two uh, roofs heats up and gets pulled to the to the to the upper side yeah. and evacuates from the opening on top but as we pull the air through this ch this channel it sucks the air which is the coolest which is in the plants at the level of the floor underneath. at the ground underneath yeah. okay. so you notice that that's the coolest air you can have in a garden is on the lower part below the plants at the lower part of the garden mm. so we suck the air up and as the air flows through the canal and, and evacuates on the very top it goes through a certain in, in a shape of a circle in a round and you know centrifugal force always pulls the fastest uh, fluids to the outside and keeps the, 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 the slowest fluids in, in the inner part. The cool air. The hot air is faster mm. yeah. and goes to the outside because it's pushed to the outside of the, of the canal, right. of the ch channel. Um, as, as the coolest air remains slower right, and right. therefore stays in the inner part, Okay. Along the room, the, along the room itself. It's very cool. Well, maybe we'll put an actual diagram of this because you have them. So this yeah. is as deep into science as we've ever gone on this show. <laughs> probably yeah. as deep as we will. So where are you going to put these jungles? Oh, sorry. But ba basically, the uh, the interesting part it's it's the first time that two forces have been combined in the design of a tent, huh. combining the uh, thermosiphon, oh. hot air goes up, yeah. and the centrifugal force fastest air goes to the outside so with the combination of uh, thermosiphon and centrifugal force in the construction of a tent I think it's the first time ever and that's okay. how we managed to reach a level of comfort um, even in the high se in the very hot season to this level hmm. I don't think it's been done ever because there's no aircon in these things or uh, yes we, we have aircon because we have what we did is we block completely there's absolutely no ventilation yeah. in, inside the tent okay. the traditional cooling systems we have in Southeast Asia is uh, ventilating ventilation of the rooms you have air coming in from one side and going out from the other we went completely opposite of this um, this principle which is the usual principle saying in jungle and in the um, in the forest, you have even higher humidity rates. If you flow in air that comes mm. from the outside permanently, you keep loading humidity. Mm. So you can never reach a comfort, comfortable zone. Mm. Okay. So what we did, we closed it completely and we used the smallest possible air conditioning that will dry up the air. And mm. that's how we reach a very comfortable feeling with very, very little power. It's very cool. So where are you gonna put these things? That's the other interesting aspect. Yeah, and, and what type of clientele? Is it going to be like a like nature and wildlife focus? Or are you going to put them near some of the more remote temples so people have access to temples? Or do you have a diff couple different concepts for, for... So we've developed two kind of jungle. One is for um, on-land usage and the yeah. other one is floating. And we're finishing the prototype for the floating version. Um, hopefully it will be open within two weeks, I think. Uh, it's almost done. And within two weeks we'll open it to the... To the 
to guests so that we can have a real size and uh, test okay. and people can feed us back paying guests can feed us back so that's where is where that located it's located across the royal palace on the mekong so it's view oh, to the sunset well. over phnom penh yeah cool well i know you have ambitious plans for them you have a lot of areas marked out in cambodia where they could potentially go on the tonla sap lake and stuff but uh, just wrapping up here i mean how many properties do you have in total now we have 13 outlets. 13 outlets, yeah. yeah. And uh, whether you stay at one of your properties or not, I think at least a meal at one of them or a drink, like just the environments are, are really, really Thanks. beautiful. I've always been an admirer of that. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great setting here, very relaxing. Uh, I and wish we'll, I were on vacation here today. Yeah, <laughs> we'll put links to the Jungaloo project and uh, the MADS site, and people can check out what you're up to. So thanks for making time to chat with us, Alexi. Most welcome. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Alexi. Well, thanks for having us in. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us in. <laughs> All right. Hey, Scott, uh, that was pretty cool hanging out with Alexi in person at the pavilion. And for our listeners, full disclosure, uh, after we got finished uh, interviewing him, Alexi took us around the corner um, to his other property, the Kabiki, yep. where they have one of the jungle tents there set up. And we got to have a look at that. Yeah, with a pool. Uh, it's pretty neat. It's pretty slick. It looks like a cross between a tent and a cabin, sort of. I mean, there is a certain permanent element to it, but uh, pretty comfy, pretty swish inside, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's pretty cool. And again, like, I mean, this is in the city, right? But the, those grounds have lots of trees, so you still kind of mm. get that jungle feel. So you yeah. can kind of get a, an appreciation for, for what that would look like. Uh, and the, the, the swimming pool was pretty neat, too, because that had kind of a canvas style... You know, so it, it, it was like the, you know, one of those swimming pools that you might put in your backyard uh, somewhere. Above ground. Yeah, it's an above ground swimming pool um, with a little like a deck that walks from the tent uh, yeah. out to the, the swimming pool. So pretty cool. I don't know how they're going to do the floating swimming pool, but, uh, you know, if they do those floating jungaloos on the, the Tolne Sap Lake, I think that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty neat innovation. And I really like how he's he's focused on kind of uh, using less power, using less water, trying to have lower impact, but then, you know, enabling you to have a stay in places that you just normally wouldn't be able to. Um, he's still in the development stage, but I think it's it's a super cool concept. And they look pretty darn comfortable. So that's neat. And I've always kind of admired uh, Alexi's work here from when he opened the pavilion. I think I was there just after they opened, like in 2005 or six. I mean, just taking old buildings that would probably be torn down otherwise breathing new life into them and allowing visitors to enjoy them I think is just super cool yeah and again like it's perfect for a city like Phnom Penh here that has all of these beautiful old buildings and has this French colonial history um, just for people coming to visit uh, you know instead of staying in some big modern high rise kind of like you might do in Bangkok mm. yeah. um, staying in one of these old buildings uh, with a nice forested grounds and, and a swimming pool and outdoor kind of seating areas uh, yeah. they're, they're really charming and I think uh, it's interesting for for people to stay in properties like that here in Phnom Penh but then like when you get out into the countryside the jungle to experience Cambodia's wildlife uh, you know we mentioned we did an episode on the tented camps mm. um, here in Cambodia uh, before and we'll have a link to that on the show notes but just I think that's a cool trend um, you know going towards sustainability and ecological like yeah. uh, footprint minimization and and just being able to to experience uh, the countryside and still have uh, nice accommodation yeah and I mean I'm obviously not a hotelier but I think one of the trends that's happened in many years that we talked about and it's kind of continues to be is this emphasis on the public spaces like yeah we can make your room cool and comfortable enough 
but how much time do you really spend in your room when you're in a new place anyway? So you have a comfortable enough room to sleep, but then really cool grounds makes it actually a little easier to meet other travelers, interact with other people, and kind of enjoy where you are. So I think that's to me kind of a, a trend that'll continue to happen too, as more and more hotels are sort of smaller size as well. So love talking to them. One more reminder to everyone, please support us financially. Help us keep this thing going. Go to our homepage, left side, donate, or go to Patreon and search Talk Travel Asia. Sponsorship starts at just a dollar a month or all the way up. So thank you. Um, Scott Coates saying goodbye. And Trevor, take us out of this thing. Yeah, thanks for uh, having the opportunity to do this in person with me, Scott. It's Pretty always cool. good to have you here in town. And uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom in Cambodia? 